I'm Louise Coffey and you're welcome to The Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's show, we focus on spring grass and we also hear from Micheál O'Leary about the pasture-based Agrinet merger. But first, it's mid-February and ideally we have cows out of grass. Michael Egan, grassland expert from Chagas, sets out the grassland targets from now until early April. Somewhere around the 14th, 15th of February, you should be aiming to be between 10 and 15% of the platform grades at this stage, depending on what date that you go out on in the first week of February, but somewhere in the region of 10 to 15%. And it's going to be increasing as you go now towards the, the end of February. So um, if we can be in and if you're if you're a lot behind that target now, you're going to have to catch up in an awful lot of area over the coming weeks. And it's kind of going to be, cause more difficulties as you get closer to the end of the rotation. And just briefly, can you talk us through the grazing targets? So we're talking between 10 and 15 percent now and then say when we kick on through the spring rotation. Yeah, so if we look at the Spring Rotation Planner, and and the Spring Rotation Planner has been around for a number of years, and it's a very, very simple tool. And for those that are on pasture-based aragonated, it's very simple to use. And it's just looking for a turnout date and a date that you want to finish your first rotation or a magic date and the amount of hectares that you're available. And what that does, it gives you certain targets that you need to meet and hit by certain periods within that 60 to 70 day period. And the kind of the, the general targets that are kind of thrown around is if you start grazing somewhere in the first week of February, you want 30% of your grazing platform or your available area grazed by the 1st of March. You want somewhere between 60 to 66% of your platform grazed by St. Patrick's Day or the 17th of March. And 100% then or finish your first rotation somewhere in the region of the 4th to the 10th of April, depending on ground conditions and growth. So they are typically the condition or the kind of the targets that we, we talk about. Um and and to do that, it it is it's a very simple tool. It just divides your farm up into areas. It takes the guesswork out of what the farmer needs to do. It it tells him how many how much hectares or how many hectares he needs to graze on his farm on a daily and a weekly basis. And this by doing this, it ensures that he will get to that end date that he has achieved, and that he won't run out of area or ground to feed. Farmers that don't use the spring rotation planner, it can be very easy to go very, very fast if you get a dry week or go too slow um, if you get wet weather. And they don't see, they don't hit those targets. And by the time they get to the end of the rotation, they're either way too soon or way too late, depending on how they have managed it. And that can cause more problems then as you get into the second rotation in April. And just, you know, you you gave us the targets based on getting out to grass in and around the first week of February. You know, do you consider um, different dates for heavier land types or if ground is saturated with water? Yeah, and look, at this is probably a prime example of that this spring. But if we look at, and and those 30% by 1st of March and 66% by Paddy's Day, they're typically for a a good soil type that would be able to hold cows in the first week of February. For farms that are are more heavy, uh, higher clay proportion, prone to poaching and pugging and heavier soil types that you can typically see along the, the coastal regions. Um, you're probably talking about uh, t- 15 to 20% grazed by the, the 1st of March. Um, they are typically not going to be out on the first, second week of February. They're probably going to be closer to Valentine's Day, the middle of February before they're out. So if they're only starting now, they're not going to get through that full uh, 30% in that two-week period. So they're probably talking about... Uh, 15 to 20% by the 1st of March, somewhere around 50-55% by the the 17th of March and finish the first rotation around the 12th to the 15th of April. Again, depending on growth conditions, but you're probably talking about pushing it a week to 10 days in terms of those targets. 
Okay, and if if we go back then to our gold standard, the targets that you set out, like in your opinion, why is it so important to get that thirty percent grades by the first of March? So th- that thirty percent is probably more important than the the sixty six percent by St Patrick's Day, um, and the reason is because that ground that you have grazed in February is the first ground that you're going to be grazing in your second rotation in April. And if you haven't got enough ground grazed early in February and throughout the month of February, when you do start the second rotation and you move on to the the 5th, 6th, 10th of April, whenever it may be, you won't have enough grass back on that ground to be able to graze. And if if we look at the, um, the ground that we have grazed over the first 10 days of our first rotation in February, we're going to be back into that in in the the 5th or 6th-ish of of April or whenever you start it. So that's roughly a a 50 to 60 day growth interval on that. If you haven't enough ground grazed in February and you still end your first rotation on that date, that's going to have a much shorter rotation interval from when it was grazed the first time to when it was grazed the second time. And if that is the case, you're not going to have enough of your, enough pre-grazing herbage mass or enough grass available on those paddocks to start the second rotation. So this spring rotation planner, although it, it manages the grass in the first rotation, what it really is doing is setting you up for the second and subsequent rotations thereafter. And with the target of 30%, how does this compare to what you've seen on, say, commercial dairy farms, um, you know, from pasture-based figures? Yeah. So in, not including... Uh, uh, 2017 figures but if we look at kind of 2014, 15 and 16 figures which were kind of a range in years and and weather conditions as well um, and we took a, a subset of, of just over 100 farms on pasture based Ireland and they were ranging in soil conditions from very good to, to quite heavy and quite wet so we actually did a phone survey and, and most farmers that you talk to will tell you because they know what we want to hear they'll tell you that they hit their 30% um, by the 1st of March that they're always doing 60% by St Paddy's Day um, and they finish somewhere around the 5th to the 10th of April and if we and we asked, asked all of these 100 farmers and said yeah we're within a couple of days of that percentage but we went back and looked at what's happening on pasture base and we looked at the actual figures that wasn't the case at all it was a huge range and the, the average of those 100 farmers were, were grazing about 20% of their platform in February. They had about 50% of their platform grazed by the 17th of March and they finished the first rotation um, between the 12th and the 15th of April. Now, there was a range within that. And some people come back and say, that's fine, but what about the soil types? The soil type didn't actually have a huge effect on those targets. That was across it. And there was dry farms that hadn't grazed 15 or 20% and there were wet farms that were closer to 30%. So... It's not really happening on farms. So if we look at what's happening, they're, they're 10% behind target um, on those farms. And that has huge consequences. Like we said already, that grass, that ground that you graze in February is, is what grass you're going to be grazing in, in April. And when we looked at actually the difference on the farms that didn't reach that target and actually did achieve the target set out by Chagas, there was huge consequences on the amount of grass that they grew over that 60-day period. So on the if if we look at so for every additional percent grazed in February, so for every one extra percent grazed in February, it grew an additional fourteen kilos by the tenth of April. Now that's just not for the year, that's just until the tenth of April. So if we looked at that, so if we looked at the farms that were ten percent behind target on average, that's fourteen uh, that's ten percent, that's up by fourteen kilos, that's hundred and forty kilos. Of a, of a deficit that those farms are less grass that those farms grew which doesn't sound like much but if you put that over a 40 hectare farm or the average farm size that's five and a half ton less supplement that needs to be brought into the system that's five and a half ton more grass that's grew 
until the fifth until the tenth of April, and that's five and a half ton of high quality feed that you now have for that system. So it has huge effects and for farms that maybe not all farms are going to reach 30% depending on ground conditions but if they can get from 10 to 20 they'll still get the same benefit. So by increasing the amount of grass that you grow or graze in February it increases the total amount of grass that you grow just over that spring period which has huge consequences then for the rest of the year as well. So it is quite important to hit those targets. Okay, and then just to look at the the other end of the scale, Mike, we have um, more cows on farms uh, this year compared to last year and so on over the last few years. And we're also improving our fertility. You know, we're higher six-week calving rates. So we've more cows calving in February, putting a higher feed demand there. Um, You know, are there farmers going beyond the 30%, you know, up as far as 40%? And, you know, if they are, is that too far? Yeah, so like there's huge demand now on farms in spring. And and if we look at, so just to, before I answer that question, so if we look at, so there's an additional between three and 400,000 extra cows. We're now calving somewhere in the region of 66, 67% of our cows in the first six weeks. That's up from 52% from 2008. Um, our mean calving date is probably about seven days earlier in that period as well. So now we have more cows calving earlier and calving much faster, which is a huge demand. So... The actual grass that's on those farms, and if we look at pasture-based figures again, the, the grass available on farms at the start of calving to feed those extra cows earlier is not actually increasing in the same line. But if we look at farms that are achieving very high six-week calving rates, so the top 5% of farms are achieving 85% and above six-week calving rates, they have a much higher opening farm cover. And what they have actually started to do, because they have a, a quite a high demand they have pushed that 30% and actually gone slightly beyond it. And they're hitting 35 and 40% um, there or thereabouts. So this is kind of coming from farmers and farmers are starting to do this. So there are farmers that are now pushing that and it's typically the more highly stocked farms with very high six-week calving rates. Um, so the consequences of this and farmers are doing it because they now have more grass available for the start of the second rotation and that's the mindset that farmers have that are pushing to that 40% like what I said from 20 to 30 they're looking for that 30 to 40 and getting that extra grass so we actually have started a new trial here in Moorpark that I'm involved in um, and I have two students on it Ashton Claffey and Caitlin Looney and we're actually looking at that 30% versus 40%. So we have one full year done. And I'm not going to go into the results now because it's only one year. But to be able to do that 40%, um, you need to have a quite a high an opening farm cover. So we have done it on a range of farm covers. Um, and anything less than 950 or 1,000 kilos of an opening farm cover, in, in my opinion, probably isn't um, realistic in, in trying to achieve 40% in, in February. So if you are looking for that 40%, you need enough grass on the farm to feed the cows. And it's not February that the problem is. It's the second half of March. Because you have such a high percentage of your platform grazed early, you have a very small area left when you get to the very end of your first rotation. So that's when you need that higher farm cover to be able to get, carry you through that. So if p- farmers are going achieving are looking for that 40% in February, they really need to a much higher farm cover than what's there at the moment. So you've already alluded to the, the high level of rainfall over the last few months and it's been very challenging for farmers and some ground is saturated on farms. Uh, what are your recommendations um, for getting out to grass and trying to maximise the level of grazed grass in the diet? Yeah, so look, at ground conditions are, are very challenging at the moment. No matter where you go, you have the high level of rainfall that we've got in, in January. 
But look, most farms will have one or two or maybe more paddocks that are quite dry and they may be able to get to. So that's probably the first thing I'd say. Rather than just looking it out from the yard, walk some of your paddocks and see some of your paddocks are going to be very, very wet and you won't get to them. Some paddocks may be quite dry and surprise you how dry they are because you're going to have pockets of dry ground on your farm. So the first thing I would say is walk your farm and actually see, is your farm saturated? And if it's 100% saturated, you don't want to do damage to it, so maybe best to hold off. But if you have a small proportion of your farm that you can actually graze and is quite dry, you may be able to start that. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is if you are letting cows out on marginal conditions or on that small percent of your farm, um, on off grazing. So it's a very simple tool and it, and it kind of does exactly what it says in the tin. You on and you're off. So you put the cows on for a small period of time and you take them off when they finish grazing. So Emer Kennedy did, would have done work here in 2005 on on-off grazing studies, and she would have found that cows will actually get the same level of intake by letting them out for three hours after morning and evening milking um, versus let, leaving cows out for 24 hours a day. They'll still get 99% of the time will be spent grazing. They will get within 95% of the time of their total intake requirements during that period, and they will have the same level of milk production as cows that were out. Typically, and, and if most farmers look at actually, if you let your cows out and you look at them, what happens when you let them out after the parlour? The first thing they will do is start to graze and graze, graze, graze very intensively for the first period of time. And typically after about two and a half to three hours, the cows are then full. You'll see them lying down. They'll walk around. They'll go over to the water trough. They'll walk along by the fence. They'll go over and start playing with other cows. That's when the damage is actually done. So... If you let us get cows out and leave them on the paddock while they're grazing and as soon as they're finished grazing, bring them off, bring them back into the shed. Um, so that's the first thing I would say. And you still get the same level of production. You'll get high utilisation of grass and you minimise the amount of damage that you're doing. But in on off grazing, the most important thing that has to happen is cows go out with an appetite. Um, so if you are feeding silage, um, hold the cows up in the in the collecting yard for, for two or three hours after milking, maybe one or two hours after milking, and then let them out. They're going to go out in an appetite, and as soon as they go out, they're going to graze. So if you're putting cows out in wet conditions, you don't want them walking around, you want them grazing, so they must go out in an appetite. And so for every extra kilo of, of silage that is fed to cows, it reduces grazing time by 30 minutes. So if you're feeding five kilos of silage, that's, that's over two hours of of reduced grazing time. So they must go out at an appetite. And likewise, if you're feeding higher levels of concentrate, so for every one kilo of concentrate additional above three kilos, so the flat rate is three kilos and you'll see no effect on that. But every kilo above three kilos reduces grazing time by 15 minutes. So again, overfeeding cows inside before let them out grazing, they're not going to graze in the outside. Um, and if they don't go out at an appetite, they're going to do an awful lot of damage and leaving cows on paddocks for too long. So... I 100% accept that ground conditions are very, very challenging, but you may have some paddocks that are quite dry and you can get out to. Um, and if you put on-off grazing and, and kind of good infrastructure, back fences, spur roadways, you can minimise the amount of damage that you're doing to your paddocks. And just on the to follow on, like that was a very good tip you have in terms of making sure the cows are keen to graze and they have an appetite going out to grass. But in terms of just practically a brief outline of the daily routine where you're getting them in and out um, to graze. Yeah, so most dairy farmers, if they're milking at seven o'clock in the morning, the cows are going to be out to the par- out to the paddock somewhere between eight and nine, depending on, on milking length. Um, so if they're out between at, at nine o'clock, we'll just say nine o'clock, they're going to be out for three hours, they're going to be brought back in again between 11 and 12 o'clock. 
Um, if you're milking earlier, they're going to be brought back in earlier. So again, it's a three-hour window for grazing. They're then back in, they're milking the afternoon again. And that's probably another thing. I think farmers milk too late in the afternoon anyway. Um, most farmers, and if you drive around the country, you see milking parlours turned on at five and six and seven o'clock in the evening. Now, I know there can be other things going on as well, but if you want to get the most from grass, letting cows out in the evening at six o'clock after milking is much too late. They're not going to graze, particularly this time of year. It's too dark. Cows generally don't like grazing in, in the hours of darkness, and that's why you see a big peak. So the earlier you can milk in the evening, the more grass you'll get in as well. So I think a typical routine is milking at seven o'clock in the morning, letting the cows out between eight and nine, and um, bringing them back in between 11 and 12, milking again in the afternoon between two and three o'clock, letting them back out and bringing the cows back in then somewhere around six o'clock in the evening. Um, and if you can do that, you'll get above 90% intake from grass, um, you get very high utilisation and minimise the amount of damage and you get more grass in the c- diet of the cows. And we all know the importance of grazed grass in, in the cow's diet. So um, I think that's probably the way people should do it. And But I really do think that farmers milk too late in the evening to try and take advantage of this. OK, so you're talking about your evening milking, uh, ideally around the 3 p.m. So to get them out for their three hours and in again between 6 and 7 p.m. So finally, Mike, when you talk about the importance of grazed grass in the spring and it's important to get it into the diet, there's a figure that's thrown around of €2.70 additional profit per cow per day. Can you just say pinpoint the main um, the main factors that contribute to the two seventy? Yeah, so it's, it's a combination of reduced cost and increased product. So in terms of the increased product, grace grass will increase protein percentage in milk. Um, you don't get a higher volume in terms of well-fed cows inside, but you'll get a much higher protein percentage, which gives you a higher value milk product to sell, so you can get a higher milk price. So that's where it comes in extra revenue, but you also have reduced costs in terms of feed costs. You're feeding a much cheaper feed in the form of grazed grass. Grazed grass is about half the price of silage and about a third of the price of concentrate, roughly. Um, so that's another one, feed, reduced feed costs, but you also have reduced labour. So you're not bedding cubicles, you're not scraping cubicles, you don't have to extra slurry storage, you don't have to spread the slurry, you're not driving a tractor feeding cows with silage. So it's a combination of increased milk price, reduced feed costs and reduced labour in the in the form of workload. So that's where that kind of 270 figure is kind of comes from. That's great. A great insight into uh, the spring rotation planner and how we can uh, get cows out to grass in the spring. Thanks very much, Emma. You may have heard about the merger between Pasture Base and Agrinet, which creates a larger national grassland database in Ireland. And to find out more, I caught up with Michal O'Leary, coordinator of Pasture Base Ireland. And I first asked him about the number of farmers using the grassland software. So at the moment, Emma, there's approximately over 2,000 farmers on pasture base. Um, the majority of these being dairy farmers. Um, and I suppose after the merger, we'd be hoping that we'd have probably in the region of 3,500 farmers. And of those farmers, how many would be measuring, say, 30 times in the year, the gold standard figure? So the farmers on pasture base, I suppose... Um, the guys that have done the 30 measurements, we're talking about 200 farmers. So I suppose there is there is a lot of improvement there to be made on farms to focus more on, on grass. And especially in the, in the spring and autumn, I think there probably isn't enough covers being done in, in a critical time of the year, um, especially when the farm is in deficit at that time of the year. So definitely room to improvement there for, for all dairy farmers. And in terms of those 200 farmers, and I suppose in general, you're, you're the greater number of farmers measuring in pasture base. What's the geographical spread? 
Yeah, so we're we're covering basically um, the twenty six counties um, in Ireland. Um, so as regards those two hundred farmers, um, on average they grew about fourteen point three ton in two thousand and seventeen, which is slightly up then slight a slight increase um, when compared to two thousand and sixteen. Um, with about twelve ton of that coming from grazed grass and about two and a half ton coming from silage. Um, and they would achieve an, on average 7.8 grazings, um, which is quite good. And we've seen an increase of about 0.6 for grazing um, when you compare 2016 with 2017. Okay, so they're well on their way to increasing to the target of 10 grazings per paddock per year. Um, if we just consider um, for a moment the pasture, pasture base Ireland and Agrinet are in the process of merging and this is going to create a much larger uh, national grassland database. Um, can you talk us through the process of the merger for individual farmers who are, are you know, in, in the process of changing over? What has happened to date on these farms and what will happen in the coming weeks? Yeah, so as regards the merger, I suppose we joined up with Agrinet Grass. It's probably now with two years. So um, they have been involved in the development of Pasture Base Ireland. And as regards the merger, um, each Agrinet client would have received a letter um, probably three weeks ago now. And a, a part of that letter was a consent form that the farmer needed to uh, fill out and to send back to um, Agrinet Grass. And at the moment, we've got, we've got a great response. So we, we've over 700 consent forms now back. And, and we're processing them at the moment. So just to give you some of the figures, I suppose, at the moment we have about 300 farmers um, brought from Agrinet onto pasture base. And I suppose as, as you, the farmer, um, I suppose the main thing is to keep an eye on your emails. Um, so once your farm uh, has been transferred over from Agrinet to pasture base, the farmer is going to get an email just to outline that, that the change has happened and you're able to create your, your password from this email as well. And some just general information, where to find the information, um, how to log in and general stuff like that. So it's just important that any Agrinet client that has the form sent in is to just keep an eye on their emails. And for uh, dairy farmers who were on Agrinet, you know, they had paddock layouts, areas and they have, you know, years of data. Is that going to um, be brought across or will it remain on an Agrinet website? Yeah, so that that yeah, that's a good point. That every bit of historical data that is on Agrinet will be brought across the pasture base. So all the covers, all the paddocks, graze dates, um, planners, budgets, fertilizer, it, it's all going to, it's all going to be available there for you in um, pasture base. And it, I suppose it is a good idea that if if you are an Agrinet client and you and you have been brought across just before you put in your opening cover to just go down through your paddocks, make sure the areas are correct, make sure that your covers are there, just to. Just run over it with your, by yourself and just to see is all the information there. And if you have any problems that, that you do contact us, um, there is a phone number there and an email address. And, and we're, that, that's manned probably 9, 9 to 9, Monday to Friday. So there is plenty of help out there and we'd be glad to help anyone, especially... It, it is going to be a big change for farmers, I suppose, you know, when you're used to agronet grass with three or four years coming over to a new platform. So there is help there. So hopefully that, that you will avail uh, with from it. And just for farmers who are were on Agrinet and they had farmer connections, be it with their discussion group or just, say, friends that were also measuring, um, will these connections be carried across? 
Yeah, so those actually those connections won't be carried across. Um, so I suppose there are two things that the dairy farmer must do when they when they are over on pasture base is to create their milk link with their milk processor. So they need to um, select the processor that that they're supplying milk to and enter their supplier number and um, just submit that form. And the second thing is then that they have to create links between their their discussion group members or between their local farmers. Um, again, that that's very similar to what's previous on Agrinet that you just need to put in their their the farmer's mobile number or their email address, um, send off the invite, and then it's up to the other farmer to accept it or decline it. Um, and you can choose as well what permissions you want to give that farmer. So you can you can allow them to see your grass data, your fertilizer data, or, or your milk data, or, or everything. It's completely dependent up to the farmer. And in in terms of um, moving back then to pasture base, is there an app on pasture base that you can input the data directly in the paddock? Yeah. So at the moment we don't we don't actually have an app. So um, what we have is is a website with responsive screens. So if you are out in, out on the field, you will need coverage on your phone. Um, so you just simply pull up Safari if you have an iPhone or Google Google Chrome if you have an Android phone and you type in www.pbi.ie um, and you log in using your email address and your password and then you can start recording um, covers. Um, however, we, we are in the development of an offline app. I suppose farmers would have been um, used to that, especially agronet farmers would have been used to that. Um, and it is one thing that we are kind of prioritizing. Um, due to our discussion or due to our information meetings um, that has been highlighted as a major priority so hopefully within the next two months that we should have an offline app available to farmers and finally um, you alluded to um, you know the number of dairy farmers measuring and what grass they're growing um, can you give an indication is that like say across the country or are there some regions that are growing more grass than others yeah, I suppose one major thing that pasture base has highlighted that it doesn't really matter where you are in the country, um, that you you can grow a lot of grass. Um, so it's completely down to the man or woman that that's in charge of the operation, having the right infrastructure, having the right attitude, especially this time of the year, trying to get cows out. It's not e- it's not easy, um, at this time of the year, especially with 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 cold weather, maybe wet weather. So I think it's completely down to the person, down to management. Um, again, having the farm set up to to achieve these ten grazings, um, off each paddock, um, we have we have farms in the southeast doing fifteen sixteen tons up the midlands doing similar, um, Galway Sligo, um, even up in Lifford and Donegal we've guys doing fifteen tons. So, it's I suppose there was a perception out there that if you are down the south, you have a longer growing season, um, you have the ability to grow more grass. But I suppose Pash Base again has highlighted that it doesn't matter where you are in the country, um the farm is going to grow a lot of grass. That's great. Thanks, Michal. Thanks, Emma. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. My thanks to Michael Egan and Michal O'Leary for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey. Join me next time for your Dairy Edge.